Welcome to the Desert Heights Church Weekly Message. Peter tells us to be of one mind. Never does Scripture encourage division in the body of Christ over peripheral doctrine, styles of worship, or buildings. But over and over, we are admonished to be unified in Jesus Christ. We need to get past our differences, focus upon the Lord Jesus Christ, worship Him, live for Him, serve Him, obey Him, bring glory glory to Him, and let all these peripheral things settle themselves in eternity. I just have a random thought. Every once in a while, people will tell me, well, whenever I get to heaven, I'm going to ask Jesus, and He's going to clarify this doctrine. No, you're not. Because if you think that you're going to stand before the throne of God that is described in Revelation chapter 5, where there's jasper and carnelium and this rainbow and the sea of crystals, and all of the saints are worshiping with all that they are, that you're going to call it time out so I can ask about ecclesiology? No! No! We are going to be so enthralled in the glory of God that your peripheral doctrine doesn't mean anything. (laughs) Number two, do sympathize with each other. Do sympathize with each other. Share the feelings of others. And a bunch of the men just log jammed in their brains. I have to share feelings? What? Like talk about my feelings? No, it's deeper than that. You have to take a break from your own self and your own feelings to consider how other people may be feeling. Take time to think about how other people are feeling. When others have a reason to be sad, be sad with them. That's okay. In fact, we like that. Some of you have been in positions where you were brokenhearted over some circumstance, doesn't matter what it was, but you were brokenhearted. And you have some well-intending believer coming and saying, always rejoice, always rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. And you're like, I'm going to elbow you in the forehead. I don't want to rejoice right now. I'm sad. I have lost something that was valuable to me. So we are sympathetic with one another. Whenever someone is sad, be sad with them. When others have a reason to be happy, be happy with them. But Brent, what if I don't feel happy? Be happy with them. Be happy for them. Doesn't matter. Get past yourself. Be considerate of other people. We've covered this in previous texts. You do not have to always get others to match your emotion. Instead, you match their emotion. It's actually a pretty selfless thing to do. Have you ever been around that person who comes into the room and they're always the dark? I call it, I think, I think that the kids call it emo. You know, they're just dark. And they want everybody to be dark with them. You know, we're going to celebrate Jesus. And they're like, yeah, but he died on the cross. You do realize that if you read past that on the third day, he rose from the grave. It was wonderful. Yeah, but he died. (laughs) I want the whole room to know Jesus died. I want the whole room to know that he lives, and because he lives, I do too. So we're all going to live, and we're going to be considerate of each other's emotions. So if you want to be down, I'll be down with you for a little while. Okay? 
I will be considerate for a little while. You know that sometimes it's your spouse or it's a child or it's an extended family member. You come to church and somebody has suffered a loss in their family of some sort or their sickness. That's a time to, to not come in and say, praise the Lord. No. Say, listen, I'm going to pray with you. I'm going to cry with you. And when we're past this, I'm going to laugh with you and we're going to rejoice together. Does that make sense? Match emotions. Be sympathetic. Do, next one, do love each other as brothers and sisters. Listen carefully because Peter is a genius here. Or we can say that the Holy Spirit knows everything. Probably that. Love each other as brothers and sisters. Some people that you love, you love them simply because they're related to you. If they're here, don't say amen right now. If they're not here, by all means, just get it. Amen, brother. Preach it. My in-laws. Mm-hmm. Testify. <laughs> I'm kidding. My in-laws are wonderful. You may love family members, brothers and sisters that are somewhat unlovable, but you love them anyway. I grew up in church. All of my life, I have been in church. There have been some pretty, we'll call them meek people along the way, and we loved them. We loved them as much as if they were blood-related to us. We did. Uh, my, pa- my parents pastored in several different churches in several, di- several different areas of, of Texas and New Mexico, and we found family in every one of those churches, people that we considered our grandparents or that they were like uncles to us. We found relatives that we loved like family in every church. So we look around this room. We are family. We are related by the eternal life-giving blood of Christ Jesus. We love one another because Christ is at work in us to enable us to love one another, even those unlovable siblings, right? It's really, it's incredibly profound because uh, here's the ultimate end of this whole thought of, of loving as brothers and sisters because... You know, we have in our culture, you can divorce your spouse. You can't divorce your siblings. You're stuck with them forever. And so whenever Scripture tells us to love as, as brothers and sisters, hear me, spiritual relationships are not disposable. We act as though, well, that person offended me, so I'll just find a bu- j- bunch of other Christian friends, and I'll just let them go and dismiss them, and just we sever relationships very easily. It doesn't really work that way. In the body of Christ, we love one another as brothers and sisters. So sometimes whenever our brothers and sisters do things that offend us, we continue to love them until we resolve the problem, until we work through it together and we both grow. Does that make sense? When you abandon the relationship, you don't grow through the relationship. God puts us in families to rub up against each other and to frustrate each other so we'll both grow. God is sadistic that way, and you can quote me. The next one is be tender-hearted. I love this. Be tender-hearted. When we are tender-hearted or soft-hearted towards someone, it means that we are quick to show them compassion. Mm-hmm. Quick to show them compassion. We love them in spite of their warts and mistakes. 
Just put a mental image in some of your heads, huh? Oh. We are extra patient with these, these people. However, however they are, we are compassionate with them. I think of my kids um, because, you know, well, I'll tell you, I didn't want to have kids. I didn't. I didn't really like kids. And whenever I first started in ministry, it was a long time before we got married and we had kids. And, you know, people come and they bring their kids to, I was a staff member then, and they're like, oh, look, my baby's born, isn't it wonderful? And I'm like, they eat and poop and cry. I don't know nothing attractive about them and so as as i mean god delivered me of that and now i have compassion for kids i do i really do love kids and i I, yeah i'm i I love kids i enjoy kids i love wednesday night um side story but anyway here we go my kids you know my kids i'm tender-hearted towards my kids so uh sometimes evidently somebody in our neighborhood speeds around the neighborhood a lot and our neighbors have gotten upset about it. And I immediately default to, it's not my kids. My kids wouldn't speed. Because I'm, I'm programmed as a father to, to reflex is show compassion. They're my kids. They're perfect. They're my little sweethearts. I love them. And so maybe they're doing something wrong, but I love them anyway. And when the neighbors say, Brent, it is your kids that are speeding around the neighborhood, I say, well, but they probably had a reason. And that, that's how their mom is. So that's, you know, we, I will tell her that I said that if I want her to know that, okay? Uh, but you understand, parents, you understand. You love your kids. You're compassionate. You're tenderhearted. We come to church. Somebody takes our parking place, and we're like. Right? That was a mic drop. It was unintentional. Yeah, it's about being tenderhearted with one another, that we just, we just are happy to see each other. And so... We don't get upset with them when we see them and throw our microphone all over the place. I don't know what to do now. All right, here we go. Compassionate. We love them in spite of their problems. Don't be quick to be annoyed. Um, Be tenderhearted, okay? You with me? Next one. Here we go. Do keep a humble attitude. Do keep a humble attitude. We talk about love a lot in Christianity. I don't think that we give enough credit to humility. We talk about the power of love. That would be a great song, wouldn't it? Like, the power of love. (laughs) We're going to work on that, Thomas. We're going to write a song. The importance of love. Love is powerful, but we forget. We, we, We sidestep this whole issue of humility because, watch this, humility opens and keeps the pathways open for loving relationships. Without without humility, love doesn't ever get communicated. Does that make sense? It just doesn't get communicated because pride always fouls up the communication of love. We think, oh yeah, I really love that person, but we communicate love through through the filter of our own pride, and so then it comes across as just a pretense and it's icky and we don't like that. Humility opens and keeps the pathways open for loving relationships. We underestimate the power of humility, and we overestimate what we think we know. 
Mm-hmm. Humility with others puts us, puts all of us, in the position to learn and grow with one another. Did you hear that? We're in this together as the body of Christ. We're doing this together. When we do it with humility, then we're all in a place to learn and grow with and from one another. On the other hand, when we introduce pride and arrogance, it creates barriers, period. The moment that you you take on this attitude that you know it all and I don't, I'll just tell you real honestly, I stop listening. If you know it all and I don't know anything, I just, I I have a hard time listening. I, I will turn you off. Likewise, if I treat you as inferior to me, you will eventually stop valuing our relationship. Do you see how pride and arrogance messes up the body of Christ? Pride and arrogance create barriers to holiness. Humility creates an environment where holiness can flourish. Okay, we're done with the do's. Now we're on to the don'ts, number two. Number two on your notes there. I'm trying to hold tight onto my microphone. I actually lost the clip here, but we'll figure it out later. The don'ts, verse 9. He says, don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Uh oh. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. This is what God has called you to do, and He will grant you His blessing. Don't repay evil for evil, and don't retaliate when insults, with insults, when people insult you. Brent, that's counterintuitive. Yes, it is. When the whole rest of the world is retaliating, when they're repaying evil for evil and God's people are not, then it will be noticeable to the world that we are different. If we act just like everyone else, then we're not really holy. Nobody's going to notice that we're set apart and different, that we belong to the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of this earth. So yeah, whenever we come to this text and he says, don't repay evil for evil, don't retaliate with insults when people insult you, instead pay them back with a what? A blessing. As chosen, set apart, holy citizens of heaven, we no longer have the freedom to participate in evil, no matter how justified it may appear to be. Mm Mm-hmm. I would even make the argument that as we grow in our holiness, watch this, as we grow in our holiness, we desire that others come to a relationship with God, so much so that we desire that more than we desire retaliation. Somebody does you wrong instead of the reflex being, oh, I'm going to get even with you. The reflex is, this person needs Jesus. My heart hurts for them. I need to behave in a way that will attract them to the cross of Christ. That's crazy, huh? But that is God's word. 
that we don't retaliate. We don't return evil for evil, insult for insult. But when someone treats us wrong, it's what we've been talking about for the last three or four weeks. When someone does us wrong, we bless them. We don't repay evil for evil because that's not how God works. We don't retaliate because that's not how God works. We do good when the other person does not deserve good. Did you catch that? We do good when that other person does not deserve good because that is how God works. Are you with me? Yes, tough text. God has called you. God has called you. Our text tells us that he has called you to do what? To bless others when they don't deserve it. That is you reflecting God's character and God's nature. God then grants you blessings. Isn't that cool? Even before we do anything good for God, He's already granted us, granted us the blessing of eternal life and forgiveness of sin. When we didn't deserve a blessing, God blessed us. And then He calls us to do the exact same thing. Go and bless others that don't deserve it. There is no greater opportunity for you and I to shine the life-giving light of Jesus than when we can bless someone who does not deserve to be blessed. Does that make sense? It's powerful. It's good. We'd change the world if, we, if the church started being kind to those that are unkind to us. Number three, we're cruising. Number three, the why. Because after, whenever I prepare messages, I'm often thinking, what are people thinking whenever they hear me speak these words? Whenever we go through these texts, this text, what is, what is the questions that's in people's minds? And I do believe that we often ask why? It's in our nature to be inquisitive. Brent, why would I be motivated to bless when others treat me poorly? And I'm glad that you were thinking that question because the text is going to tell us today. And he's actually quoting, I believe it's from Psalms. I don't remember exactly the number, but he's quoting from Psalms. So here we are, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. Uh, the next verse, he says, For the scriptures say, he's quoting, If you want to enjoy life, if you want to enjoy life, and see many happy days. Can we just pause there for a second? Do we all want to enjoy life and see many happy days? I hope so. For the rest of you, we're praying for you. Not sure what's up there, but yeah. If you want to enjoy life, <laughs> for all of those who are emo and want it to be dark, this scripture's not for you because we're fixing to have some joy here. Just telling you. <laughs> if you want to be all sad, that's a different passage of scripture. <laughs> If you want to enjoy life, if you want to see many happy days, now we could add then, because it's an if-then statement, if you want to enjoy life, if you want to have happy days, then keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. It's like Peter gives us this little formula for uh, for living happy and having a long life. He gives us this little formula in a nutshell. He just says, don't speak evil, don't tell lies about others, and, and you'll have a happy, long life. But Brent, somebody needs to speak the evil, and it's my job. Well, then, don't plan on happy days and long days. It's 
pretty simple. It's really simple. But Brent, just don't speak evil and don't speak lies. It's not rocket surgery, right? All right, verse 11, he goes on. He's continuing his quote. He says, turn away from evil and do good. Just turn away from evil. Stop doing evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. Oh, man, that messes with our our modern Christianity. You know, you are very aware when you are are faced with option one, do evil. I mean, hopefully as believers, we're very aware. When we have the opportunity to do evil, you know, to tell that person what we really think of them, or to do good, right? You know when you have the opportunity to, to really tell somebody the what for, or option two, you could bless them. Peter says, intentionally choose to bless. Intentionally to do, choose. I'm going to find a word that I like here. It's kind of like whenever you, well, anyway, sidestep. You intentionally choose to do good instead of allowing yourself to do bad. It takes more effort to do good, right? That's what he's telling us. He goes on, he says, search for peace. Listen to me carefully. The instruction of Scripture is to search for peace. Don't wait for peace to just happen to you. I've been around people who are, they're just, oh, just waiting for my life to get better. It's probably not. It's not. Search for peace. Get out there. And, and, and then whenever they have it and they lose it, they're like, what? I have to work at this? I have to work at having a peaceful family? I have to work at peace in the community, in the church community? I thought that I just came to church and everybody was peaceful. <laughs> See, I'm a comedian too. Yeah, no. Where two or three are, geared to, are, are gathered together. I'll get it in a minute. Where two or three are gathered together, there's going to be contention. That's why Jesus has to be there, because he's the peacemaker. And we search for peace, and then we work at keeping peace. Why do we work at keeping peace? Because inside of every one of us is this fallen nature that wants to rear its ugly head and be prideful and be arrogant and to wreak chaos on our peace. It's always there. So we search for peace, and then we work to maintain peace. Does that make sense? Oh, no? Okay. Well, we're going to continue to go on. Verse 12, picture this. This is a good picture, okay? He says, The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do what? Right. (laughs) Parents, a little parental advice here. This is kind of grandparent advice, okay? Don't tell your kids when they're doing something wrong, God is watching you. He sees you. There's a Christmas song about that, isn't there? Yeah, instead tell them, listen, you just did something really good. The scripture tells us that God is watching you when you do something good, and he's pleased when you do something good. Does that make sense? Okay. The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right, and his ears are open to their prayers. 
That's something that I want. I want the Lord to watch over me, and I want the, God's ears to be open when I pray. But, but the Lord turns his face against those who do what? Evil. The Holy Spirit paints a pretty black and white picture here. You do what is right, and the Lord watches over you, and he hears your prayers. It's that simple. Do what is evil. If you do what is evil because, you know, you feel like you're justified in doing evil, right? I mean, that's the only reason that we would do evil. We don't set out to just do evil. We're not serial killers. We just sometimes want to say, I'm going to set aside the holiness of God. I'm going to set aside the blood of Jesus and the forgiveness of my sin. I'm going to step out of my eternal life, and I'm just going to go live like a heathen for a minute. And then whenever I get ready to stop being a heathen and setting the world straight and getting it my way, then I'll come back and be a Christian. Mm -hmm. Do you see what's happening there? If you do what is evil because you feel like you're justified in doing evil, then the Lord turns his face against you. Ah, Man, that ought to be enough motivation for you to not want to do evil. No, we don't want the Lord to turn his face against us. God has chosen you to be holy. That is a really good thing. He has placed you in a position of being his holy child. So, out of gratitude, by the work of the Holy Spirit in us, let us live noticeably holy lives. There's no reason for us to hide our holiness. God is not glorified. God is not glorified when we hide our true identity as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Well, Brent, I don't want to be obnoxious. We don't want to be obnoxious, but we still want to live a noticeably holy life. Let the world see our good deeds. Let the world see our holiness. We don't have to beat the garbage out of them with our theology and our doctrine. We just let them see our good deeds. Let them see our holiness. Let them poke fun of the fact that we care and we show mercy when others would retaliate. Let them see that we will bless when others would curse. Let them see that we are noticeably set apart from the chaos of this world And we live in the peace and the holiness of the kingdom of God. We are set apart for the glory of God. To shine the light of Jesus to the world who desperately needs the guidance of the Lord Jesus Christ. We can't live like them and attract them to the the holiness of God. We live the holiness of God and they are attracted to God. Does that make sense? We can't do evil to get evil people to come to Jesus. (laughs) It doesn't work that way. We live a holy life, and they become envious of the life that we live, and they pursue Jesus Christ. The Lord turning his face against those who are evil is a serious thing. I don't believe that that's something that any of us want. But I do know 
that the only way that you can live a life of holiness is by placing your faith in the Lord Jesus. We do not conjure up holiness in us. We put our faith in Jesus, and the Holy Spirit begins to work in our hearts, work in our attitude, work in our actions, and we begin to live the character and nature of God as the Holy Spirit is present in our lives. We must believe that Jesus, the Son of God, died for our sins, that by His blood our sins are forgiven, and now... We exist before God sinless, and that we are holy as He is holy. We surrender our will to God so that by the work of the Holy Spirit, you can grow into the holiness of God. We have to put our faith in Jesus. That's the first step. That's where we begin. Without faith in Christ, we never get to being set apart. We never get to be holy because God is holy. Lord Jesus, I surrender my life to you. I surrender all that I am to you and to your will. I trust that through the death and the resurrection of Jesus, I am forgiven of my sins and I have been given eternal life in you. I want you to work in my character. I want you to help me to daily die to my sin-filled nature so that my life will glorify you. I put all my trust in you, all of my confidence in you, that you will work in my life to be a light to all those around me, that they will be drawn to Jesus Christ because of your work in me. Lord, my faith, my trust, my belief is holy in you. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. Thank you for listening. We would like to invite you to come be a part of Desert Heights Church. Service is every Sunday morning at 1030. You'll find us at 1835 East Main, next to Arby's, here in Farmington, and on the internet at desertheightschurch.com.